Welcome to the BIOS podcast by Elix Ventures. BIOS is a community of early stage healthcare and life sciences founders and investors. BIOS curates content, hosts events, crafts resources, and creates a community to facilitate collaboration. BIOS unites like-minded members of the startup universe and is anchored by Alix Ventures, a San Francisco-based venture fund that invests in early-stage healthcare and life sciences companies. To learn more about us, visit bios.community or alix.vc. We're thrilled to welcome Allah and Ayman of Bubala Ventures to the show today. Thank you once again for joining us. To help co-host this podcast, I'm joined by Alex Ventures operating partner and my father, Mark Polito. Mark, can you give our listeners a bit of background on yourself? Welcome, everyone, and delighted to be with the team from Bubala Ventures and an exciting 60 minutes coming up. Uh, and I appreciate Alex Ventures hosting us. My background has been in healthcare operations, uh, leadership roles in technology with over four decades, uh, former chairman and CEO uh, of Ability Network, uh, a portfolio company, a summit in Bain Capital. It's a cloud-based solutions company for provider and payer marketplace. We were acquired by Enovalon in 2018, and I continue to be on the corporate board of directors of Enovalon. I'm currently an operating partner at Alix. And before my activity in Ability and Alix, I was in private equity for a dozen years at a middle market company, Freeman Spogley, uh, chairman and CEO of Benefit Point, a Sequoia-backed employee benefits technology company, and then had the privilege to lead some of the most prominent healthcare and technology companies in the world. I was uh, president and CEO of McKesson Corporation, a Fortune 10 healthcare services and information technology company, as well as president and CEO of Novartis Pharmaceuticals USA, and then had a chance to lead a specialty long-term care distribution and medical billing company. Have extensive board service, uh, chairman of the board of Quidel Corporation, a, a leader in point of care rapid diagnostics, as well as sitting on the boards of Charles Schwab, a technology company, Imation, a medical equipment company, Sunrise Medical, and a practice management company, Smile Brands. In addition to our corporate activities, all of my activity has been focused on healthcare and mission-driven healthcare with the purpose to drive patient impact and improvement in life. Also, we were involved in a family foundation. The Boys and Girls Clubs of America has been a key passion of ours. Our family foundation, the Polito Walker Foundation, focuses on education and youth at risk. I currently serve uh, as a member of the Business Advisory Board at the University of Notre Dame Mendoza College of Business. And we also have a wine project in Napa Valley making single vineyard Cabernet and Chardonnay, Polito Walker Cellars. So a quick background and a delight to be with the team today. I'd like to ask uh, both Ayman and Ala, could you please go through your background and you know, some brief insights into what's brought you to where you are. So maybe start off, uh, Allah, if that works. Yeah, of course, uh, Mark, thank you so much 
it's hard it's hard to follow that that intro so <laughs> pleasure pleasure to be uh, on this podcast um, with you super excited about spending time together today so I'm originally actually from Amman Jordan in the Middle East I uh, started my career there in startups in the telecom space, which was a booming space at the time uh, when, I, when I graduated from undergrad there and um, built, built a couple of startups in that space. And in 2008, uh, I met Mubadala at the time uh, that were trying to build a research cluster uh, in the UAE for semiconductor research and chip design. Uh, that was my undergrad focus, and uh, I was really excited about that vision. Left Jordan, uh, joined them at the time, and for two and a half years, we sort of like tried to build Silicon Valley outside of Silicon Valley. Uh, long story short, the project did not go as well. It was really hard to build uh, to build a research cluster um, without a, you know all the main components of that ecosystem. But as part of that uh, of that journey, uh, I kept coming to to Seth uh, and to the Bay Area often, and um, grew grew more and more. Uh, interested in, in that part of the world. So in 2011, I actually moved to the US uh, as part of the semiconductor business of Mubadala uh, to help transition a couple of, a couple of executives there. Uh, the, the, the project was only for six months to a year. Uh, after living here, it was really hard for me to leave, uh, made this place home and um, basically been living here ever since. So I'm coming up on my uh, 10 year anniversary in, uh, in, in, in Bay Area. And, um, you know, being, being part of Bay Area, you, you, you always uh, get stuck with the bug of, of venture, uh, grew a lot of, uh, of interest in there, did a couple of investments uh, as an angel. And then ultimately in 2015, uh, sort of like started thinking about how would Mubadala, uh, together with my partners uh, here on the ground, how would Mubadala build a venture business uh, for itself here in, in, in Bay Area? Took a couple of years, to strategize and, and, and convince the platform. But ultimately, we launched Mubadala Ventures in 2016. Uh, and, and the focus was broad, uh, broad technology investor. And I'm sure we'll go through the discussion on, on how we anchored on life sciences and healthcare here. But um, but that's just a brief, brief background about myself. Wow, so impressive. Just five years ago, launched Mubadala Ventures and to see the prominence and traction that you have today. A big congratulations. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks. It's 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 still we're still in the early innings, as they say, of, of our growth uh, prospects here. So uh, super excited about the future. Ayman? Yeah, uh, delighted to be speaking with you both, uh, Chaz and Mark. And thanks so much for hosting us. My background spans engineering, management consulting, uh, corporate development and M&A, and now venture capital at Mubadala, where if I look back, um, Almost everything that I have done has directed me in the direction of the intersection of technology and biology, which is what I focus on here at uh, Mobadala Capital. Uh, I started out my career back in 2010 as an undergrad at the University of Toronto, where I spent roughly two years working on building lab on chip applications, microfluidic systems, and high throughput screening. Uh, and data automation for the purpose of enabling applications in, in chemistry and life sciences. Next, uh, I moved on to work at a medical diagnostics startup and later uh, graduated and worked in management consulting with Accenture, uh, focusing particularly on 
data heavy problems. And that uh, gave me exposure into the use of platforms and technology to uh, run things much more efficiently compared to you know, the traditional headcount approach. After consulting, I had a, a, a number of stints in business school, one with a uh, digital health and wearables startup where we uh, develop caloric tracking technology uh, as part of the Y Combinator batch of summer 2016. Had a short stint in a hedge fund working on the application of machine learning and then transitioned into corporate development and M&A with TCAN, the life science tools and robotics company where I worked on equity investments and acquisitions. Um, and later on uh, was fortunate to meet with Allah and the rest of the team who were launching a venture capital uh, business here in San Francisco and joined the firm in the beginning of 2018 where uh, I've been focusing on life sciences and healthcare. Thank you for sharing that with us. Fabulous backgrounds, I exciting panel discussion uh, uh, coming, coming soon uh, with uh, both Allah and Ayman. Uh, let's start off with the first question. Uh, one question I frequently like to ask our distinguished guest comes from Dennis Gabor. He's an electrical engineer and recipient of the 1971 Nobel Prize in Physics. And Dennis says, the future cannot be predicted, but the future can be invented. So, so with both of you, some of your thoughts, what does it mean inventing the future? I mean, listen, I think from, from my perspective, right? I mean, we are all aware that there are a ton of challenges that humanity is facing when it comes you know, to healthcare, food security, climate change. Uh, and I believe that the issues and challenges are to a certain degree well understood. Inventing the future for me means that you, know, you orchestrate the collective resources uh, that scientists, entrepreneurs, and investors have to drive towards a systematic resolution of these challenges, leveraging technology and scientific breakthroughs at the core of, of, that, um, of these resolutions. And while you might not be able to, to create a dent in the short term, if you're consistent in the systematic approach to addressing these challenges uh, through innovation, uh, ultimately the compounded effect will create a seismic shift in the long term that will help put the humanity back at least to on track of solving these challenges, if not completely eradicating it and, and you know, creating better future for us and our children. Let's dive into our first topic today, folks. Uh, investment philosophy and really tech bio at Mubadala Ventures. Can you talk to us about Mubadala and what your investment focus is? Allah? Yeah, you know, happy, happy. Maybe, maybe the best way for, for us is to talk a little bit about Mubadala because you know, there are a lot of terms that we're, we, we use interchangeably, which is Mubadala, Mubadala Capital, and Mubadala Ventures. 
you know, Mubadala itself is, is the sovereign wealth fund for the government of Abu Dhabi. It's quite large sovereign, around $240 billion asset under management. And, and the way that we characterize ourselves is, you know, we are active business builders with long-term oriented goals. And, and we're active in a number of sectors. We're around 16 sectors, you know, heavy industrials, metals and mining, petrochemicals come naturally to, to, to our DNA on, on us being part, part of that world. But also in, in high tech, I mentioned a little bit about semiconductors and most notably in healthcare from healthcare delivery and healthcare provision systems with you know, platforms like Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi, Imperial College Diabetes Center, and a number of oncology centers uh, within the UAE, but also more, more broadly. And, and part of this Mubadala platform, there's something called Mubadala Capital, which is ultimately the, is the asset management arm of Mubadala. Uh, and it manages around $9 billion of, of capital across private equity and public equities. And the most recent addition to that family of funds is our ventures platform, which we, we kicked off here in, in the US back in uh, 15, 16. Um, and you know, right now we we basically have um, U.S. ventures, we have Europe ventures, and also we have MENA ventures. And on a, on a total, we we manage north of a two billion dollar asset under management here. And from from an investment thesis and investment philosophy perspective, you, you know, at U.S. ventures, we really anchor on on this term of maximum flexibility for maximum return, uh, which translates basically in in flexibility around check sizes, flexibility around stages of where we invest, and flexibility around you know whether we lead, we follow, we syndicate, or we co-lead. Um, ultimately, our sweet spot is a series A and B, where we invest between 10 and $30 million um, as an initial investment in a company. Uh, albeit we go a little bit earlier, we can invest you know, $1 and $2 million, and we can go a little bit later and put 30 to 50 to $100 million behind companies. And, and, and the promise that we bring is really this, this idea of being a cross-asset class investor. We want to come in early, see the companies grow, and, and, and support them across multiple uh, stages of growth uh, from capital infusion perspective, but also by leveraging our global presence through active business development. Right. And, and the platform, as I mentioned, in, in the U.S. is pretty broad. I mean, we have a technology practice where we look at fintech, uh, we look at enterprise, we look at mobility and logistics. But half of what we do at Mubadala Ventures is really anchored on healthcare and life sciences. And in that area, I would say we have sort of like a three-pronged strategy. The first is a therapeutic platform strategy. And, and we can talk a little bit later about what's the difference between being a therapeutics platform investor versus a biotech investor, but we are a therapeutics platform investor. Uh, we also have a novel diagnostic strategy where, where we're, not, we're not looking for novel molecular diagnostics. We're really looking for diagnostics approaches that are helping reduce the overall healthcare bill, improving outcomes, and, you know, really enabling preventative healthcare and population health. And then the last you know, leg of the strategy is healthcare technologies, which are the necessary data systems that, that we need to invest in and the applications on top of that to enable us to deliver precision health and population healthcare and preventative health as well. Fantastic. Thank you for that great background and excited to dive more into the life sciences we all today. Uh, I think as we characterize the landscape as it sits, especially with the uh, COVID era that we're progressing through. 
uh, hopefully curtailing soon. Uh, one could say that biotech um, is really going through a rush of innovation. And the term biotech, I think many people are now saying is being flipped on its head, uh, really kind of solving more biological problems with the engineering mindsets uh, as people characterize as tech bio. Um, what does this tipping point look like to you all? And what is tech bio being to you, Eamon? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're definitely seeing that trend as well, uh, Chaz. Um, and for us, tech bio is, is a theme that has been at the center of our investment thesis since the beginning of our ventures business. Um, to us, the uniqueness of tech bio or the intersection of technology and biology comes from three key elements. The first element being scale and speed. And here it's about using technology to do things much more efficiently and at, at, a, at a much higher scale relative to the traditional headcount driven approach of solving difficult scientific problems in a lab. Um, for example, using high throughput screening, using machine vision to analyze cell phenotypes, uh, automating single cell analysis, and so on, which are tools that allow you to explore the solution space much uh, more efficiently uh, relative to how the biotech world uh, operated for the past uh, decades. The second element is the ability to uncover new biological insights. Uh, and here we anchor on the role of computation to unlock new biological insights and applications that otherwise uh, would simply not be possible. Um, for example, with next generation sequencing, bioinformatics, uh, protein design, and using machine learning to establish genotype-phenotype relationships, and the list goes on. This second element we believe is critical because a lot of the solutions for the problems in biology that we're seeing today are combinatorial. And so the ability to deliver insights and not just speed of experimentation is important here. The third element to tech bio as we see it is the platform which brings together the benefits of scale and speed and your ability uh, to uncover new biological insights. Bringing these two elements in a, a search engine or a flywheel where the company and its data sets increase in value with each cycle of experimentation. And it is that search engine that allows these companies to continue to create value, whether it is discovering new targets, mapping new protein interactions, for example, identifying opportunities to repurpose drugs, and so on. Uh, and so to summarize, tech bio obviously is a whole spectrum, but there are some defining features of what makes a powerful technology-enabled biotech today. Love that analysis. And I think on our end, we, we 
most certainly concur and would say that the, the special part of this as well is that biotech has been known in years past for um, being one shot on one goal. And I think that this platform approach not only gives you a plethora of opportunities um, to get a flag on the moon, so to speak, um, but would also be characterized as when you get one of these wins, there's an efficiency gains process as well that I think in years past biotech uh, has not been maybe known for its efficiency and development mm -hmm. time over time, tech bio with a platform-based approach. Uh, you see, you're seeing assets having similarities, potentially high nineties, one to another one after clinical approvals and a pipeline effect being developed with uh, an ease and certainty that comes with that. That's maybe not reminiscent of, of companies past. Uh, as well. So you've made some great investments now across the space and some truly leading companies and uh, now North Stars that have IPO recently, uh, Recursion, Veer Biotech, Lyle, Outpace, and Citro, Orca, Xylus, to name just a few of the many amazing opportunities. Uh, can you talk about really what's the common thread amongst your portfolio? Yeah, I mean, I think all, all these investments ultimately fall under what we call therapeutics platform strategy uh, that we've been implementing since the launch of the fund. And there are really a number of attributes that, that are common amongst these. First is all these platforms have scientifically differentiated core capability on which the platform is built, right? In the case of recursion, is there high throughput screening assay, um, that is uh, that 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 enables them to go and understand the impact of of these drugs that they screen on the phenotypic structure of a cell, and on top of that, you know, machine vision capabilities. Um, with uh, with Zalus, as as you're aware, and I know you are an investor, uh, you know, their ability to create to create those microorganoids that enables the the recapitulation of of the tumor microenvironment across the multitude of of cell types that exist there. Are, are the common thread, right, where there is a scientifically proven differentiation that this, this platform is built on. The second is, you know, the ability for these companies to go and create their own pipeline. And, and we'll talk later why, why this is important. But, you know, while my, th that pipeline might not be clearly defined in the short term, but at least we have an alignment with, with the founders that in the long run, we need to own and create our own assets because that is the only way that we can get significant value inflection point uh, down the line. The, the third is really flexible business model, right? I mean, you cannot have a rigid business model early on, but specifically in the tech bio realm, uh, because things are still fuzzy, because pharma has a significant power in, in, in this ecosystem, you really need to have a flexible business model that, that enables the company to go and navigate, you know, the product market fit as to speak to you to, to, to you know, take a page out of the technology uh, investment world. You know, we need to go and understand what that means. And, and the company has to be flexible enough to go through multiple business models. And this happened with, with, with recursion and others in that portfolio. And listen, at the end of the day, while it's maybe a bit cliche that it's all about the people, but all of the investments and the first thing that we really sort of like try to have and, and, and wrap our heads around is the funding teams. And each one of these 
platforms, the platform companies that we invested in, you know, have strong funding teams and, and not just strong founders, but really strong funding teams that are experts in their fields that can carry and navigate uh, a lot of the challenges that they're going to face as they take the company from zero to one or one to hundred. Could not agree more, Allah. Uh, we, we like to think on our side, we're seeing just as much innovation on the science side as we are on the business side of biotech. And particularly as you are speaking about uh, flexibility in terms of business modules and also modularity uh, as well. We've often seen companies start off in infrastructure, uh, develop former partnerships, learn from those data, uh, grow the benefits of revenue, and have the time to think with higher fidelity how to now also cherry pick potentially internal application and asset creation opportunities from their platform through the services-based approach they, they started with. Uh, can you explain more how you think about go-to-market strategy and company journey for this next wave of tech bio platform companies, Ayman? Yeah, absolutely happy to. And this topic of uh, go-to-market strategy for tech bio platforms is, is one where we've, we've seen manifestations of different models play out in the market over the past few years. Um, from being a service provider to fully partnering on your pipeline to having a hybrid pipeline that is a mix of fully owned assets and partnered assets. And of course, all the way to uh, fully owning your entire pipeline. And so, as you can imagine, there is really no standard playbook for platform therapeutic companies to take uh, when they're deciding on their go-to-market strategy, but rather uh, we think it is a, a, a function of number one, the value that the company is adding to the solution being created or the therapeutic, for example, uh, is it a nice to have or is it a must have to unlock value. That's one. Second, it's a function of the expertise of the company. Um, before you can vertically integrate as a biopharma startup, uh, it's important to understand the spectrum of skill sets uh, that are required to build that vertically integrated business. And so starting there might not be the, the best uh, go to market or, or, or outside point. And third, it's a function of the long-term roadmap that the founders would like to, to achieve or work on. Uh, it might be the case sometimes where it's beneficial to partner, to uh, de-risk the technology and the science and maybe collect uh, enough evidence and data uh, before moving to own a, a, a pipeline. Um, eventually, this all, boil, this all boils down to the uh, factors that I just mentioned. And really, we don't think that there is a, a standard approach that uh, companies sh should take. Terrific, and, and, and echo the sentiment. Uh, exciting times ahead for sure. Um, uh, so, so Allah, um, in, in addition to this, as we think about the, the next wave of tech bio coming, I, I think we're all aware of the 
potential of AI and the incredible impact that it has to dramatically increase the efficiency across the board from um, research development and everything in between. Uh, but something that folks would also argue will redraw the lines of not just biotech, but beyond is quantum computing. Uh, you've made investments in IonQ, for example. Can you share about what the intersection of quantum computing and biotech looks to you? What capabilities does quantum computing unlock for biotech? What does the future of quantum biotech hold? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's funny, even though, you know, my my core experience uh, before uh, I've started investing in bio for, for the past five years has been semiconductors. The lens that I've used uh, in looking at IEQ is, is really the lens of a biotech investor rather than rather than a semiconductor investor or, or a technology investor. I mean, ultimately, right, quantum computers give this promise of enabling us to study complex systems. And human biology is perhaps one of the most complex systems that exist out there. Uh, the, the promise is with a, with a quantum computer, you would really envision this ability to simulate molecules and, and chemical reactions, uh, understand overall molecular structures, modeling human biology, and understand the impact of drugs on biological systems. Now, uh, this is all sort of like in the future. And, and unfortunately, today, the quantum computing industry is not ready to address these. However, amongst the low-hanging fruits that, that quantum computer can help us in understanding um, is really modeling biophysical interactions within a specific protein and to optimize that protein structure to achieve certain characteristics, right? I mean, and by the way, by low-hanging fruits, I'm not saying this year or next year, it might take five years to do that. But ultimately, you would envision that for a certain uh, protein, you could play with the molecular structure or model changes to the molecular structure to, to allow you to understand, uh, you know, how would you stabilize a protein? How would you increase the solubility of a protein? And, you know, we've, we've spent a ton of time understanding intrinsically structured uh, and disordered proteins, uh, you know, and modeling these proteins in silico at the biophysical layer using various quantum mechanics-based models, you know, to allow us to really better understand it and ultimately develop molecules that can inhibit these molecules, these, these specific proteins down the line, right? Like um, this promise, again, it's, it's not eminent. The true reality is, you know, quantum computers will need five to 10 years minimum to enable us to do all the above, right? But uh, IMQ is working on, you know, quantum machine learning algorithms that can solve much simpler problem that a classical computer would potentially be able to solve albeit with ultimate, you know, ultimately an infinite amount of resources that are needed to solve it in a classical computer, you'll be able to solve it on a quantum computer. Pass off to Mark now to chat on the biotech capital landscape and really this new archetype of tech bio unicorn that uh, your portfolio is seeming quite frequently to resemble. <laughs> Alan, I'm in, I'm just in awe of the insights that you've shared with us and the leadership 
that Mubadala is demonstrating and bringing to bear in the emerging and new field of tech bio. We, we've talked a lot about some of your thesis and criteria, as well as what you're looking for uh, in scale and speed, as well as teams uh, of founders and some of the key disciplines that you're focusing on in the healthcare tech bio area. I'd like to transition a bit from that insight into biotech or tech bio capital landscape. And we're starting to see a, a new archetype of a, a tech bio unicorn. And you know, with COVID, it seemed like uh, things paused for just a very short period of time. Uh, I don't know if it was days, weeks, or a month or two at most, but the, the mega-sized biotech rounds that we've seen emerge after that short pause, and quite a few in your portfolio, and uh, congratulations on the success of finding these companies and investing and in supporting in these incredibly strong potential change the world tech bio unicorns. As you look at the size of the funding rounds and, and they balloon across all stages, it, it begs a few questions. You know, we, we have an adventure, a pretty traditional nomenclature everyone has in their mind, the mental model of what is seed, what is series A, what is series B. Does that nomenclature still stand today? And maybe add a few thoughts on what are you seeing in overall round sizes across these stages? Yeah, I mean, I think perhaps the only nomenclature that is standing is the seed. And then everything balloons after that. Even, even seed, you know, there are a lot of changes at that, uh, at that level. But honestly, you're right. I mean, this nomenclature at one point is, is just not useful. What we really look at, you know, we don't care if it's a series A or a series B. What we really look at when we invest, is there enough proof point that the scientific breakthrough can lead to a pipeline in, in, a, in a therapeutic platform? Or is there enough proof point that this novel diagnostics methodology has uh, you know, some sort of preclinical validation that would help us uh, de-risk that investment down the line, right? Uh, for once, once we move it to humans. So, uh, you know, for example, Zalis is a series A, but if you unlayer the progress that, that Jialing has done over the past year and a half, you know, it's really, it's the progress is, is that of a series B company with all the uh, pharma relationships that he has with the clinical trials that are ramping with, uh, with, the, with the depth and breadth of the platform and its applicability for various cancer types. For all intents and purposes, the progress is a series B, but in reality, it is a series A financing, right? So I think the labels are misleading. They're always changing. They have always changed for the past at least five years where I've been in, in, in the ventures business, where when we came, you know, Sopec Vision Fund was being formed at the time. And the series B is not the same that the series B was two years ago from a size perspective. And this has always been the case ever since we started investing. Great. To the next topic, as, as you see this lack of clarity in this traditional nomenclature around rounds, you also, you know, have seen the sizes balloon at, at various stages as proof point and traction uh, 
with these wonderful teams uh, is underway. Has that caused you to uh, change your thinking or think differently uh, about exit strategies and profiles as this change is occurring? I mean, listen, the, the ethos that we bring at Mubadala is, is being a long-term investor. I mean, even in the ventures where we actually have third-party LPs, it's not all captive within Mubadala. What we try to say that we're not in it to flip it. We don't want to invest, go prove to, to, to future LPs that you know, we're able to go and, and, and do the markups and, and, and distribute capital in the short term. We really believe in the value of the long term. Now, of course, you know, the, the bigger round sizes, the increased valuation has put pressure, especially for companies seeking the path to public markets who have not been forgiving for, for companies that are preclinical in nature or companies that are in a very early stage clinical setting. These companies still have very volatile stock today, right? And, and the reason is, I think the promise of having a platform and the value that this platform drives to on towards assets, right? Where, where, where you know, biotech public market investors have always looked as a, at, at these companies from an asset perspective, still there. You cannot change that DNA of, of an investor in the public market you know, over, over a short period of time. But in reality, once you have an, a long-term vision, once you alleviate yourself from looking at the short-term volatility in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. And we really want to be in companies for a long period of time, not for a short period of time where we see a 10, 15% you know, up and down volatility in price. Yeah, and, and here, when we think about uh, exit strategy, it's, it's actually part of, of the way we think about our entry points and the type of companies that we invest in. And that's where the, the role of platform therapeutic companies that have a, a search engine that could lead to discovering no targets, uh, repurposing no drugs, they, they eventually all, uh, all uh, leads to a broader pipeline that, is, uh, that balances the risk profile of these companies. That all comes into our is, is part of our investment process and so we don't start thinking about exit strategies at the exit it's all incorporated into the decision making process when we're investing in a company let's go to your overall portfolio as you look at mubadala's uh, entry into a pretty large crop of this exciting tech bio field, you've set in motion some massive North Stars and generated playbooks, these companies for other startups to follow. Uh, can you speak to some of the learnings of the various companies in your portfolio and maybe different paths that uh, you've offered uh, suggestions and guidance uh, through your governance and involvement in company building? with these very talented founders. Yeah, for sure, Mark. I mean, of course, we, we have one of the core principles that we drive within the team is to be constant learners, uh, not just our portfolio, but even our own investment teams. And uh, learning never stops. And I'm sure whatever I'm going to say now is, is going to change. And, 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 and you know, we're going to add to it by the end of the week even. But ultimately, listen, I think there are four key learnings that is common between all these platform therapeutic companies. 
First is really like owning your own destiny and developing your own programs is key. The challenge is pharma moves very slow and they're risk averse. They're happy to kind of, you know, put you through proof of concepts and, and have you, you know, demonstrate the power of the platform. In reality, when, for example, recursion was being built, it was one of its first type of, of companies that hit scale that applies AI machine learning for drug discovery. Pharma was not used to that. So without, you know, the, the, the vision of, of Chris to go and build their own fully integrated, you know, vertically, um, uh, vertical uh, pharmaceutical company, it was really hard to scale recursion if I'm only dependent on pharma companies and pharma partnerships. So owning the destiny, taking the core platform and applying it for your own pipeline is, is key. The, the second is, uh, it is all about the team and, and who you really attract, not pre-IPO, but in the first 36 months of forming a company, right? And, and you should be careful of who to hire. I know, again, this is type of cliche, right? I mean, teams are critical, but in reality, the zero to one teams are the ones who are defining your culture, who are defining how you progress on your, in your vision and in, in, in laying the foundational building blocks for the company. So you should be careful and scrutinize the hiring decisions in the first 36 months of, of, of launching the platform. Uh, the third is really stay grounded in the science. Uh, there is a lot of hype out there. There are a lot of companies that are gonna come up. There are competitive threats. Just stay grounded in the science and in what you've built as, as a founder and, and try to build on that. And, and don't shy away from saying, listen, I, you know, when doubt comes and doubt will come on the platform, just stay, stay grounded and, and execute. And then finally is play the long-term game. And I cannot really overemphasize that. You know, a lot of, a lot of founders and none of the companies that we invested in so far have tried to optimize for that. But a lot of founders that we see are trying to optimize for the short-term, whether that's short-term valuation increase or short-term wins in partnerships, things take time. And uh, you mentioned it, right? I mean, there's increased valuation, increased pressure on exits. If, if you're optimizing for short-term valuation increase, ultimately, you know, the valuation will catch up to you and you won't be able to demonstrate value for future shareholders. You, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, investing and we've talked about your, your thesis and the key principles that those four you gave were just spot on and should be learnings and remembrances for everyone uh, in this tech bio revolution. Where do you think we're at in this revolution as far as uh, influx of interest in capital, early, mid, late? Yeah, yeah. That's a very interesting topic given in the biotech world, we tend to talk about uh, waves of innovation, uh, broadly speaking, in, in all of pharma. Um, I think as it relates to uh, tech bio, we are in the early stages still. Um, we, the, the space is, uh, is at a stage where the, the proof of concepts exist in terms of applying engineering principles, synthetic biology, and uh, in, in, uh, AI, ML, and uh, the uh, science of biology. 
Uh, and that's how we saw the first generation or the first breed of tech bio companies. Um, but there is still a lot to be achieved. Uh, there are still a lot of applications and, and uh, infrastructure for, to build. Um, so there, there, I would say we're still at the early stages. Uh, mapping this relative to the just the talent pools, we're still facing challenges around attracting the right technical talent into tech bio companies. And so there is still work to be done before we could say we're at the mid stages or starting to see the, the space mature. Thank you. Um, so as we move into our third topic and talk about the next generation of cell and gene therapies and the enabling infrastructure to catalyze the space even further, uh, we've seen a real boom in 2020 uh, with nearly 20 billion invested in cell and gene therapy. And uh, I think as we've seen, Moderna and quite a few others have led the way with mRNA and an amazing rush of companies now exciting to piggyback off uh, these accomplishments. You've made some high profile investments in a number of exciting companies in the space, spanning therapeutics and enabling infrastructure, Lyell, Veer, Biotechnologies, Outpace Bio, Orca Bio, amongst many others. What's getting you all excited about cell and gene therapy? Yeah, uh, you, you've seen the portfolio and, and how excited we are about uh, companies that are harnessing the potential of uh, cell and gene therapies. And there we're uh, particularly interested in two uh, archetypes of companies. The first one are companies that are leading the way in addressing disease specific challenges call them applications, right? These are the likes of Lyell and, and cell therapies uh, where Lyell is addressing the challenges seen in, in cell therapies applied to solid tumors. And so what's exciting us there are these companies that are working on addressing uh, these, these scientific challenges that will uh, will make the uh, promise of cell and gene therapy come to uh, fruition. And eventually we, we, we will see a significant number of therapies come to market once these challenges are addressed. That's on the application side. But then we ask ourselves, as we look at the number of, of, of cell and gene therapies that are being investigated, do we have the infrastructure in the market today to support that volume of clinical trials and eventually the whatever percentage of therapies that will be addressed? And that brings us to the second archetype of companies. These are the companies that are building the toolbox and the infrastructure that will enable better cell and gene therapies. And there, uh, we're excited about not just manufacturing or biomanufacturing, we're excited about companies that are helping solve some of the uh, problems on the therapeutic application side. For example, with Pace uh, working on de novo protein design for cell, for cell therapies, and Zabayo uh, working on solving the bottlenecks in DNA synthesis, um, and national resilience, of course, working on solving the, 
biomanufacturing bottleneck as well. So the space overall is super exciting and, and we map it in terms of applications and uh, infrastructure. And we believe there are exciting things happening on both sides. Fantastic. And before we come to a close here, a few rapid fire questions we'd like to ask our guests to cap things off. Great. Uh, first, uh, in closing thoughts, uh, lightning round. Uh, at Alex Ventures, we believe that the key to changing the world starts first with identifying what problem we're trying to solve and getting the right problems to solve and focusing on that. As you look at life sciences next 10, 20 years, what do you think some of the grand challenges or right problems to solve are? The, the way that we think of the grand challenges, specifically for the therapeutics uh, and, and biotech industry, is anchored on efficiency of R&D. And how do you really start developing drugs that alter disease and, cure di and, and are disease curative rather than symptom uh, management uh, drugs? And how can you do that in an efficient way uh, that, uh, that makes R&D efficiency from an economic sense uh, better? Uh, the second is, uh, how do you commercialize these, these drugs in a better way? And how do you stop this crazy uh, increase in, in the healthcare costs, not only in the US, but more broadly at a global level? So how do you develop drugs efficiently and how can you commercialize these drugs in an efficient way that allows you to be competitive in the marketplace while solving, um, while solving the grand challenges that we face at, at the healthcare level. When we map out the, the biotech space, uh, two of our North Stars here are personalized and preventative medicine. And we believe there's, there are still challenges and bringing forward the, the benefit of both of these with personalized me medicine, specifically accessing the right data to personalize healthcare. And with preventative medicine, there is still the big question of who will pay for preventing the onset of a disease that will only manifest itself years down the, down the line. So as we talk about these grand challenges and hopefully making progress on these challenges uh, in the years to come, particularly around, as you mentioned, personalized and preventative medicine, uh, to break out the crystal ball, if you will, Iman, uh, flash forwarding to biotech in 2050, can you paint a picture of where we'll be? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure we can describe what the biotech world will look like in 2050. Uh, but there are these North Stars that we hope will guide us first in, in the ecosystem towards a better future, hopefully in 2050 or, or earlier. Uh, first, we know that it will take a very long time before we have curative therapies for every indication out there. Uh, but hopefully we see a biotech word that is more data-driven and more certain for everyone involved, the patients, the physicians, pharma companies, payers, etc. cetera. Um, and, and second is, is hopefully CE biotech word that um, is more integrative of the patient journey, uh, including focusing on first preventative care and second uh, personalized care. And last but not least, a biotech word that is more accessible and inclusive uh, for the benefit of, again, 
the, the patients themselves with lower uh, specialty medicine prices, uh, a more efficient drug development process for the pharma companies, and overall a more efficient uh, healthcare ecosystem for the payers and the providers involved. You, you touched on a topic that we actually just spoke on in one of our recent podcasts, which is advancing diversity in biotech and really accessibility, but also the creation of equitable medicines uh, as well. And I think that's an important um, aspect as we drive forward for patients to not only be more accessible, but equitable and inclusive of the variety of patients uh, involved in the ecosystem as well in their needs. Um, Allah, as we look forward as well, which is what the rapid and amazing rise of Mubadala Ventures and the life sciences interests are part of your group here. Uh, can you share with us what does 2050 look like? Um, where will you be from Mubadala Ventures? Thanks. Thanks I mean, listen, I think the, the way to talk about 2050 is about what we strive for today, right? And we strive to be one of the most successful venture capital investor not only in the US, but at a global scale, particularly for me and Ayman uh, is in life sciences and healthcare. Um, we strive to deliver on our promise of being a value add investor and not a passive investor that enjoys the ride uh, of, 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 and the hard work of our entrepreneurs. And, and the value that we present is to really support the founders with our long-term thinking and our long-term ethos with our um, sources of capital and the various pools of capital that we can access across the board, across multiple um, Mubadala constituencies. And more importantly, because for great companies, capital, we understand that capital is a commodity. We really want to be the value add investor that works hard for our founders to bring the global scale of Mubadala to localized companies in the US and in Europe. Fantastic. This has been a really exciting uh, 60 minutes. And as we get towards the end, uh, any closing thoughts? Uh, I mean, listen, uh, you know, I started investing in venture five years ago. Uh, and truth be told, when we started five years ago, we really didn't know what we want to do. We had no mandate to invest in life sciences and healthcare. We had no mandate to invest in series B and series A. It was a white canvas that we wanted to draw a picture that delivers something unique and differentiated to the ecosystem. And we knew that we couldn't do it from the middle of Abu Dhabi and we needed to be on the ground here in San Francisco. And we believe that the future is bright for us. And broadly speaking, the future is, is, is bright for the entire venture capital community in life sciences and healthcare. And you, know, we, you, you have our promise as an ecosystem to put our good foot forward and, and, and contribute to this ecosystem for good. And, and hopefully at one point we solve all the diseases in the world and, and we make the world a better place. Could not agree more, and, Allah. And thank you for all support and helping drive this community forward. Uh, we look forward to working with you and continuing our partnership uh, for the years ahead and for the patients ahead. Thank you. How can it. our listeners learn more about your work, Eamon? Yeah, yeah, we, we definitely... For our listeners uh, and the bright minds out there that are building companies and solving scientific problems, we know that we cannot create this bright future that we talked about without joining hands with you. Uh, and so uh, both Allah, me, and the rest of the team are uh, 
are accessible, whether it's uh, through LinkedIn, uh, our, our, uh, our connections through Chaz and, and Mark and our inbox is always uh, uh, open to, to, to the folks out there. Um, and we uh, wanna hear from you. We want to uh, partner with founders on building uh, great biotechnology and healthcare companies and uh, are excited for the future ahead. Fantastic. Thank you both, Ala and Ayman, for an incredible episode. We're very grateful for your time. Thanks again for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Chas. Thanks for having us, Mark and Chas. Thank you for listening to the BIOS podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review on your favorite podcasting platform. For more content, please visit bios.community or alix.vc.